It's hard because it's designed to be hard. The, the industry has zero incentive and perhaps huge disincentives to make their costs or their quality levels known broadly. Here at Point Health, we are focused on making healthcare easy to find, easy to understand, and easier to afford. As we launched Point Health, we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we shared what we learned during the process of building a digital healthcare company with the rest of the world? So we started this lovely podcast where we get advice from some of the best minds in healthcare and technology about how we can accomplish our vision of making healthcare easy to find, easy to understand, and easier to afford. For today's episode, I am joined by my colleague, Alan Garcia, who is our resident data strategy and measurement expert. Hello. Awesome. Good to have Alan here. And just a bit on Alan. Uh, he has 15 years of experience in product development, digital marketing, and data analytics at companies like Airmark, Razorfish, W2O Group, WP Engine, and UShip. Um, Alan is a classically trained composer, amateur power lifter, and according to his daughter Maeve, he's pretty good at drawing Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, so we're excited to have Alan and, and happy that uh, everyone gets to gets to meet him and he'll probably be on the show throughout as a, as a co-host in different episodes. Um, and so moving on to the, the reason we're here, our, our guest, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about why healthcare quality information is so hard to find and make sense of as we speak with Shaquille Haroon, founder and CEO of Empirica Health Analytics. So thanks for joining us, Shaquille. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Awesome. We're excited to have this conversation and nerd out a little bit on quality metrics. Um, so just a bit on, on Shaquille, and then we'll jump into the, the conversation. So Shaquille is founder and CEO of uh, Empirica. Uh, before a sick family member's ordeal ignited his passion for clarity in healthcare, Shaquille was steeped in software, an engineer by training. He's led sales teams at industry stalwarts like Intel and Microsoft, a few companies you may have heard of, um, and has more than 15 years executive experience with VC-backed startups. Um, with Empirica, Shaquille has embraced a mission to bring a valid, reliable way for patients and payers to pursue high-quality care. I think something that's also very close to our hearts, so we're really excited to talk about this. Um, maybe to kick it off, Shaquille, could you just tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you came to be involved in healthcare? Yeah, um, thank you again uh, for, for having me on. Um, my background is uh, split between, uh, you know, large public uh, tech companies, the behemoths, Intel, Microsoft, um, and then the other half has been what I sometimes joke and say is the more interesting um, experience in early stage startups that were first to market with uh, various technologies. Um, again, mostly in the software uh, technology space. Um, this uh, venture with Empirica is the first healthcare-focused company um, that that I've been involved with. Um, although the underpinnings of of Empirica is still technology, which is you know my my core competence. Um, the the healthcare aspect of it is where things uh, really got interesting. Um, uh, and, you know, dealing with the convoluted way we deliver healthcare in this country has been a learning experience, uh, a fascinating one, um, a fulfilling one, a frustrating one, all of those things uh, rolled into one. So I'm bringing an entrepreneurial technology background, um, as well as a personal uh, passion in, in uh, to the healthcare, into this healthcare venture. Um, and so that pretty much brings me to, to date um, uh, and, you know, 
sitting here talking to you guys about our experience. And and one follow up question on that, I I think I saw that there was you you had a personal experience, kind of a brush with healthcare that that led to this. Could you maybe just just tell a little bit about that and and, yeah. and what that was like? Yeah, more than a brush in that um, you know close family member um, has uh, struggled with health uh, problems, pretty severe health problems involving multiple surgeries over the years. Um, I grew up outside of the the country, and so the notion of getting advanced healthcare in country, you know, in my growing up was not really an option. Uh, we had to fly uh, to Europe or, or in some cases, family members uh, that, that could afford it can, could make it to the US. And so the, the, there was always a question around, okay, so what, what, what healthcare center might be best for what I need to have done? Um, and attendant with that question is, okay, so who does this best? You, you, you certainly want to uh, uh, go to somebody, uh, a doctor that's very competent in, in the surgery that, that you might need, uh, certainly a facility that has a great track record. Um, so that was a, 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 an important question for, for each and every one of these episodes um, over the years. Uh, so, you know, when, when I was uh, uh, thinking about this problem back in 2000, early 2014, I was coming off of uh, acquisition of, of, of a company I had founded and finally had the opportunity to, to think about, okay, what's next and what's, what's a sort of meaningful uh, problem to go out there and solve? And, and this issue of, well, which, which hospital um, and physician should my nears and dears go to to get the care they need um, was, was sort of a lifelong topic um, that cropped up uh, every you know, couple of years in, in my case. So I, I thought, all right, let, let, me, let me go out and um, try to identify uh, hospitals across the country that might be best at what they do and, and make those recommendations to folks that are coming in from overseas that had no idea about uh, the quality of care they might receive uh, oftentimes they're, they are cash payers, so they're, um, you know, it's an expensive undertaking. Uh, they want to go to the best. And I set out to figure out who the best were, only to find out over the course of time that this question, uh, you know, as to who might be the best to go, go to and where, where are you, your odds of success the highest is, is not an issue that's faced only by folks seeking care from outside the United States. Uh, but also, you know, residents uh, of, of, of cities all over this country. So you might be here in Seattle wondering where to go for your heart bypass surgery, your hip replacement, your knee replacement, your spine surgery, and you might have no better idea as to who does that best than uh, somebody that's, um, you know, halfway around the world. That's the problem that I set out to solve, um, you know, back when we founded Empirica in 2014. That's that's incredible. I, I think there's something really uh, fascinating about the, the the mindset of the engineer and, and engineers they've worked with have uh, you know you solve hard problems and you get you get practice at solving these really hard daunting problems and so when you face a problem like that it's it's a uh, you know it's it's cool to hear to hear you describe the process of like hey this is an what's the next big problem I can solve and to just go and figure out what the problem space is and and to see how daunting it is, but to not be overwhelmed by that and, and, and chip away at it until you find a solution. I think that's, that's something that um, 
that I think really impresses me. And, and I think as part of that, as somebody who has kind of chipped away at that problem space and who has climbed that mountain, um, a question for you, for me is, you know, why do you think it is so hard for patients to find affordable quality healthcare in the US? You know, in, in, from, from your vantage point, as somebody who has kind of gone through the, you write like the, you climbed the mountain and figured out how do you, how do you determine the, the, the quality of the provider? What do you think is preventing the patient from getting access to that affordable quality care? Yeah, that's, that's a, a, a great question that, that pretty much cuts to the heart of the matter. Um, uh, it's hard because it's designed to be hard. Uh, the, the industry has zero incentive and perhaps huge disincentives to make their costs or their quality levels known broadly. I mean, think, think about the hospital facility that might, for whatever reason, not be doing a great job at a knee replacement surgery, uh, just to pick one. Um, and, uh, you know, at, at the average cost of some $40,000 for uh, the average inpatient surgery, who goes there if it's well known uh, that you don't do a good job of that particular surgery? Well, you're not. And so therefore that revenue goes out the window um, and uh, it, it is in no provider's interest uh, to make that information known. And given that uh, surgery in particular is the profit center for the, the healthcare industry, bar none, I mean, that is by far the number one profit driver. Uh, what uh, provider in their right minds would ever make their uh, proficiency known uh, if they're not stellar? Uh, who would go there? Uh, I, I think, you know, that, that that's pretty self-explanatory that you know, it wouldn't happen. Um, so as a result, uh, you've got an industry where uh, opacity is sort of the way things are done, not only from a cost of care standpoint, um, and you guys have covered that really well in the past, um, but I would say even more so on the quality front, um, there's absolutely zero incentive and, and powerful disincentives to make this information available uh, to consumers and um, uh, you know, payers uh, out there. So first and foremost, I would say it's by design uh, that you can't get uh, you know, this information uh, to help your decision-making as to where to, to go get care. It's interesting you say that, you know, in, in our own journey in, you know, what we're building and designing, I've, uh, I've been fascinated by the degree to which game theory kind of takes a play in terms of like, hey, what is the incentive? Uh, what is the incentive for certain behaviors? And, uh, and there's a really interesting quote as part of that, um, that kind of ties into that. And it's a, an Upton Sinclair quote. Um, you know, it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it, you know, and so it sounds like you've, uh, so good. you've that's something that you've experienced in, uh, in your journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, again, the, the cost of, of uh, hospital care is extraordinary, even when things go great. Uh, and so, 
you know, and the fact that, that uh, it can multiply very rapidly if things don't go great. Uh, I think the data shows or the research shows that, you know, it's up to six times more costly to fix severe problems uh, with inpatient care uh, than a normal problem-free surgery. So you're talking about in the best case, uh, things go well, the, the cost is that of a mid-sized car. And if they, if they don't go well, it's the average cost of a house around this country. So um, those are the economics that, that are behind, uh, you know, provider willingness to, to disclose their performance. Uh, we absolutely have grappled with that and, and uh, our mission is to, to shed light on the situation so uh, patients and, and payers can uh, choose uh, without having to try to get this information out of the provider network. And maybe a question I have on Empirica is your business model. So one, I agree with everything you just said, by the way, and, and, and I think we're, we're completely aligned with the incentive and the systems that have been set up. And it's really unfortunate for the patients that that's the reality. But when you're providing this information um, to patients, is that through their employer, through their health insurer, through how, how do they get that information, I guess, would, would be my question. And how is it how is it shared with them through, through what entity? Yeah, so uh, when Empirica got started, uh, like many uh, digital health companies, uh, we were enthralled with this idea of providing this information to consumers directly, mm -hmm. um, and and uh, you know empowering them to make uh, decisions around their healthcare uh, themselves. Um, that uh, notion proved way too early. Uh, arguably, it's still early uh, for for that direct to consumer proposition. Um, and so the company evolved uh, to a B2B model where we are now providers to uh, partners that in turn provide medical cost management solutions to employers. Um, and so they will wrap our scores with their product or service, be it a direct to, um, uh, con uh, direct to provider uh, mm -hmm. contracting model or a concierge model where uh, there's a live human being providing advice uh, on the phone or, or somehow to an employee. So uh, it's, it is these service providers that we target um, and uh, the proposition uh, is, is a better together proposition where they'll take our uh, metrics, um, add their particular service that's generally focused at medical cost management um, and, mm -hmm. and deliver that to a uh, employer group. Um, we have uh, a small number of consumers purchasing directly, but that's, that's really not, uh, you know, our main line of business by any means. It's typically done on a one-off basis where you know, we feel compelled to uh, provide our uh, our metrics to an individual that might be in dire need of, of, of care, whether it's in a rural area or for, for whatever reason, they just do not have access to good advice as to some, you know, uh, life critical surgery they require. 
There's a great blog uh, that, as you were talking, it reminded me of. It, it's by Nikhil Christian. It's called "I Guess We're a Services Company: The Six Stages of Health Tech Grief." It's actually a four-part blog, and he basically walks through how every company. Like you said, every digital health company gets started. They're trying to sell to consumers. They're trying to pay patients to do healthy things. And then ultimately, they're like, well, we should sell to self-insured employers. And you just kind of go through this, this um, you know, experience, I guess, or, or, or not patient journey, but digital health journey. I'll send you the blog. It's worth a read. If, and then listeners as well. It's, uh, it's, it's quite comical. Um, so you know, we, we, Alan and I, we've talked through this. And one of the questions was around, is the DTC challenge part patient education and getting them to actually utilize the service and the information? Uh, yeah, well, for sure, it's it's a challenge to communicate, um, at least on the quality front, um, you, you know, sufficient uh, to their needs. I mean, uh, f- especially for inpatient surgery, the, the decision that, that we're asking patients to make is really fraught with a massive amount of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I mean, think about it. You, you're going in for heart bypass surgery. Uh, all of a sudden, you, you're faced with this, this complex uh, you know, technology model that purports to point you to the, the, the surgeon that, that you're going to you know, go get taken care of by, and uh, you know, you're supposed to bet your life that uh, this, this, uh, these measures um, are, are valid and, and trustworthy. It's a heavy lift um, for most patients to make, again, given the near complete lack of understanding of, of, you know, their health condition, um, uh, as well as the risks of the surgery that they're, they're, they're gonna go through. Um, so this, this fear and uncertainty and doubt has somewhat paralyzed consumers. So despite having the information that uh, makes it clear, uh, you know, the, the levels of risks that they're taking, um, they'll oftentimes say, you know what, uh, let me check with, with somebody else about this um, and, and talk to their primary care physicians um, and failing that, uh, you know, friends and family around what they think um, the best uh, course of care might be. So they, they, they want to do anything but make a decision on their own, uh, irrespective of, of great data being um, in front of them, you know, and this is in contrast with other, uh, you know, areas of, of, of purchasing where consumers are increasingly comfortable making, you know, you know expensive uh, uh, purchases online. Um, and these days that spans everything from cars, uh, I'm hearing even houses. Um, we already know that that uh, big chunk of of marriages have started online. And so there's all manner of, of yeah. major life decisions that are going on, um, you know, sight unseen, quote unquote. Uh, healthcare remains a sort of, uh, you know, still uh, out there as far as consumer comfort um, in in assessing uh, the different options um, and, and going through with the one that offers sort of the best bang for the buck. Uh, by and large, it's really the fear and uncertainty and doubt of the situation. Putting your life on the line, your health on the line seems to, to make you take leave of your senses uh, and make rational choices, um, uh, ultimately leading to just deferring the whole matter and, and kicking the can down the road and saying, okay, some, I, I need to call a friend. Um, and 
frequently that's your primary care physician um, and possibly immediate friends and family. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about the score itself, go figure, uh, data nerd asking about the numbers, but, um, you know, so how, how did you, um, you know, so with the Empirica score, how, how is it calculated? What in your mind is, uh, you've kind of shared what it's, what its purpose is, but like, you know, what is its, what is its purpose, you know, uh, and then, uh, yeah, just, I'd love to kind of get a sense of, uh, the, in your words, the, the kind of composition of the score. Okay. Um, well, uh, you know, in the early days, we, we had a reporter look at what we do and, and uh, sh she came up with a pretty good description, which we've used uh, over time. And she called it, uh, oh, this, this looks like a FICO score, except for surgery. Um, and you know, that's absolutely what we had envisioned from the get-go. We were, you know, really glad to see the recognition happen right off the bat. Um, and so the Empirica score uh, takes into account uh, the actual uh, track record of a physician or uh, a hospital in completing surgery successfully. And so over the course of hundreds of surgeries and thousands of surgeries in the case of, of hospital facilities, we compile a, a score that consolidates a bunch of different measures into a single three digit number um, that conveys how well uh, or poorly a, a hospital or physician is doing for a given surgery. So it, it, it looks like a FICO score and conceptually, it, it is built on, on some of the same stuff where uh, we're actually using data to inform score. Uh, when a physician or a facility is seeing a excessive number of severe complications, and by severe, I mean the real nasty stuff, uh, death, um, you know, long lengths of stay uh, due to, to major complications, uh, readmissions into the hospital, deaths post-discharge from the hospital, uh, again, the nasty stuff. We, we track um, all of these events. Um, we factor in the patient risk, and um, we derive this single three-digit number um, on a scale, again, very similar to the FICO score scale. Our, the top end of our scale is 800 for the excellent physicians, and uh, 100 for the, the ones really you should avoid um, and everything in between. So uh, what you're seeing when you're looking at the Empirica score is uh, a, an you know, all-inclusive number that takes into account that physician or that facility's performance given your risk as a patient and what you might expect to see if you went in to get treated um, what, what you might expect um, in terms of a successful outcome, which for us really means, did you, did you, uh, did you get uh, in and out of the hospital um, without severe problems happening um, from the point you're admitted all the way through 90 days after your discharge? Well, yeah. and, you know, and looking at your... Um... You frequently asked questions on Empirica.com. 
one thing that stood out to me was that the score has been uh, uh, in development for longer than Empirica has been around. It's been developed over the course of uh, was it 20 years. That's right. Yeah, the the original technology for Empirica started, uh, you know, decades ago with the study of um, uh, uh, episodes of care in the VA system. And uh, one of the pioneers in the space, uh, a guy by name of Dr. Michael Pine, uh, was uh, working at the VA tasked with, okay, let's try to figure out why in the world we're seeing uh, such, such problems with um, you know, care for our veterans? Um, how, how is it that some are spending you know, excessive amounts of time in, in uh, inpatient hospitals and developed uh, the methodology uh, that we use today um, that is a outcomes-based uh, and risk-adjusted approach to analyzing um, hospital and physician performance. So this, this technology has been um, in constant uh, development over the decades and is today uh, you know, not only the foundation for our score, but also in use at major hospital systems in analyzing their own performance and their own risks um, as part of undertaking uh, uh, you know, financial risk in, in value-based contract type uh, situations. Uh, you guys are probably well aware of, of uh, you know, Medicare, for instance, penalizing hospitals for uh, poor performance or requiring on, on the or you know on the flip side, uh, rewarding hospitals for for great outcomes. Um, and oftentimes, hospitals have to conduct a pretty in-depth analysis of their own performance such that they're not exposed to the penalties and they can maximize on the, uh, on the benefits. Uh, in, in a commercial setting, very often they're signing up for these value-based contracts, which operate on a similar principle, mm -hmm. uh, that, that they're redu reducing um, negative outcomes um, and as a result, you know, earning bonuses um, and, and, and avoiding uh, you know, losing money themselves because they, they're oftentimes on fixed price contracts in the case of bundle care situations. Um, so the technology has been used by hospitals themselves um, and uh, we've taken it in a different direction to uh, support um, uh, employer groups, uh, you know, their membership. And in, in, in the coming few months, we'll be expanding this uh, to the entire uh, patient population, including Medicare uh, beneficiaries. Interesting. I mean, what's, what I was thinking about when you were saying that, Shaquille, was w one of the things I've discussed in the past with others uh, is that there are so many different, I think I saw there were like over 5,000 outcomes measures that various insurers and, and groups require doctors and hospitals to measure on and that it becomes cumbersome because there isn't a single clear, you know, series of metrics at least. And I guess where I'm going is it, it sounds like in a way you, you, are, you and your team are trying to address that by building out a, um, a clear measure that, that, that could be utilized. And I, I think potentially even help some of the providers and, 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 and hospitals, et cetera, who are 
struggling with trying to report so many different measures, right? Is that is has that something that's ever come up with you, with you in, in in your conversations? Yeah, it has absolutely, and there are tons of different measures, and you read about them all the time. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, I sympathize with folks saying, "Gosh, wh who do we believe, and wh what what do we use?" Uh, you know, in in making a, a care choice. Um, you know, part of the problem is that there are, you know, so many measures because everyone's measuring different things. If 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 you're a hospital administrator. Uh, you have one set of interests. If you're a patient, uh, you, you have an entirely different set of interests. Um, and I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, the, the, the better question is, uh, you know, what perspective and do I have in, in, in trying to figure out what's the right quality measure for me? We come at it from the, the point of view of the patient. What are they asking? Um, you know, almost without exception, the question is, am I going to be okay? Mm -hmm. um, you know, this, this is the question that I get from time to time, uh, I'm, you know, from friends uh, and acquaintances that know what I do. I'll get a call oftentimes late night um, on the night before a family member or a loved one is going in for surgery and they want to know, am I going to be okay with this choice that we're about to, you know, you know we've made and we're, we're going to go through with. Well, it turns out that am I going to be okay is a multi-part question uh, from a from a you know, not to geek out excessively here, but <laughs> am I going to be okay means am I going to am I going to live? Am, yeah. am I going to have severe complications, which means I'm in the hospital for weeks on end? Am I coming back to this hospital after my surgery is done? Am I going to survive uh, the surgery after I'm discharged? Am I going to be okay? Has all of those components uh, that that they're that that's what they're actually asking. Um, we answer the "Am I going to be okay?" question. Uh, yeah. You know, and so our measures are looking at the data that are predictive, and it turns out that there's good uh, data science that allows you to identify the variables that are strongly predictive of, you know, a positive answer to this, am I going to be okay question. Um, and, and when we look at the inputs into our model, if they're not predictive, uh, maybe to oversimplify, you know, the cafeteria food's great at this facility, right? <laughs> yeah. With, you know, the top notch is cafeteria food predictive of a, a great outcome. Well, I think, uh, you know, no prizes for guessing that. Yeah, well, probably not predictive at all. Uh, it could be very satisfactory, uh, but, you know, uh, in terms of avoiding the nasty stuff that happens a lot at hospitals, that uh, is probably not a variable that should be going into any model. But you do see this kind of stuff being touted as uh, an indicator of hospital quality. Um, you know, patient satisfaction metrics and, and the fact that uh, they've got, uh, you know, fancy equipment in, in the facility or even the buildings themselves, right? We've got a new oncology center. Um, so a lot of this stuff gets, uh, uh, you know, introduced in the conversation. The real question is, um, are the measures that you are using, are they predictive of, of good outcomes? And 
and there's there's fantastic data science available now that will you know down to you know multiple decimal places give you very accurate readouts on how predictive certain variables are and there are things that are highly predictive uh, mostly having to do with patient condition and there are things that are not predictive at all uh, we uh, uh, exclusively use metrics that are highly predictive of outcomes. And, um, you know, this, the other stuff uh, that you'll see a lot of times in hospital press releases and so forth, we don't pay any attention to. Uh, that's something, you know, when I, uh, when I read through the Outcomes Rocket uh, podcast transcript, uh, that you that you cited in there, and that the importance that the the underlying factors that you take into consideration are concrete, they're binary, and they they can't you can't really dispute losing a loved one. You can't really dispute you know complications post surgery. It's a it's a, it's a it happened or it didn't, and uh, and it's funny because it, you know I think people often think of metrics and and developing these metrics as sort of a um, like a, a pre-planned uh, or just a, a, a sort, like you're just playing with Legos. You're connecting, you have these Lego blocks and you're putting them together and you're putting a number together and that's what you're doing. And then there's not really, you know, there's not the, the creative aspect to it. It's just, you're just taking these things and, you know, slapping them together and here's, here's the metric. But what they don't, I think what people often miss is that you have to, you've got to go out and find those Lego pieces and, and, and there's a discovery process and there's an exploration in, in feature engineering to figure out, to just, to, in the first place, the pool of, of factors that you that you have to discover in order to to run the models to tell you which of those factors are highly predictive is a it's a journey unto itself. And so, uh, you know, it's it, I think it's just fascinating to hear you say that like, hey, this is something that's been in the works for a while. We you know we've landed on these specific metrics, and uh, and these are the ones that are highly predictive. Did you you know w were there um, what was that? What was that journey like for you in terms of landing on those concrete metrics and and discovering them? Was it was it very quick? Was it like obviously we should use these data sets? I know you're using MedPAR data as part of this uh, based on your FAQ. Um, was it was it like a you know uh, what, what was that process like for you? And, and you know what, was there iteration? Was there discovery involved? Yeah, it's it's a it's a very difficult process. Uh, you know, I've been involved in in advanced technology startups for for you know longer than I care to even admit here. Uh, I don't want to date myself. <laughs> um, uh, it, it it is it is very difficult um, because not only as you point out, you have to go out there and um, analyze all of the data and then determine the the most predictive uh, variables. Um, but, but there's also an aspect of, of clinical practice. In other words, how do, how do uh, you know, hospitals and physicians actually do what they do that uh, has impact on patient outcomes? Um, you know, what, what, what are the nursing staff practices uh, that would have tremendous impact on, on uh, you know, outcomes? So there, uh, there's this additional dimension of complexity that has to do with the uh, relationship of these variables to each other. You can imagine that a patient um, with, you know, diabetes or a patient um, that has other pretty significant risk factors, uh, hypertension and, and 
and so on, um, would have a very different uh, uh, expectation of, of a successful stay in the hospital compared to, a, you know, an individual with, with, that's mostly healthy without any risk factors. So there is a dependency now between uh, the ability of, of a physician or a hospital to treat a patient and that patient's health condition. Um, so that has to be taken into account. Um, there's the hospital administration and practice around, well, how, how are they uh, 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 taking care of, uh, let's say, a severe complication? Is, do, you know, you can manage down severe complications by simply discharging, um, you, you know, as quickly as you can and, and punting the problem down to a skilled nursing facility down the street. And so your hospital is looking great as far as, um, uh, you know, severe complications, um, which you can only catch if you're, if you're uh, relating the complications in the hospital with the readmission rates, right? So, so if you're taking any one of these outcomes discreetly, you're missing the fact that, uh, you know, sometimes it's very well in the hospital's interest to discharge uh, and, and send the problem down the street. Um, I, I had one of the most heated exchanges with a hospital CEO that uh, insisted that, you know, their, their facility should be scored higher. In fact, at the highest level um, because uh, they didn't have, uh, you know, readmissions and could show me data that indicates and that proved his point. And, you know, for a while there, they had us going till we found out that, in fact, uh, because the facility didn't have an ICU, that they couldn't take a readmission. Hmm. Uh, so, and, and that all of their readmissions were handled else, you know, at, at, at other facilities. So, factually, uh, CEO was right. They didn't have readmissions. But stepping back and, and you go, okay, so those readmissions happened, uh, only they didn't happen at your facility. Um, point being that uh, not only is it complex to, to develop the, the, the model, uh, we've had, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of, of, of giants uh, as far as the underlying methodology here. Um, uh, but as, as uh, you know, an equal problem is, is just the figuring out how, how to factor in the relationships between these variables, because they're very impactful, um, you know, and, and cannot, the, cannot be taken discreetly um, in coming up with an with a overall conclusion around the performance of a given facility. You know, what strikes me as you were sharing that, Shaquille, is just how complex all of this is. And I mean, that's kind of a no-duh, right? This is complex. But I think if you consider that we all have a fair amount of experience in healthcare, um, and it's even hard for us, right, to, to go through this and to understand it and make sense of it. And when, you know, my wife needed to have an ultrasound, like, and I'm trying to figure out where do we go, and that's a little different from a quality perspective, but whatever the procedure may be or the, the, the imaging or the whatever, it's, it's hard when you're the patient and you're in that situation. And, and you know, I think what I, the question that I ask often, and we've asked this on the podcast in the past, is you know, if we really want to deliver high-value healthcare, 
we have to make this a bit simpler on patients so that they understand and can find that quality data as well as price data for you know uh, procedures, surgeries, imaging, labs, meds, etc., um, at a truly fair price. And I guess where it takes me is why why doesn't that exist today? Why isn't there some kind of platform or app or system or whatever in healthcare that, that actually makes it easier for consumers to to shop for the care they need? We we have them in other areas, right? And you know whether that's Airbnb or Travelocity or Uber or you, you name it, but we just don't have them in healthcare. And I'm curious from your perspective, what has been the biggest limiting factor that's held us back? Yeah, well, that's that's uh, you know tens of millions, if, if not hundreds of millions, of venture capital dollars have, have gone into that that uh, issue right there. You know, can we make healthcare shoppable by consumers um and if so what 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 are the tools that we need to have them sort of have a one-click shopping experience for your ultrasounds or your knee replacements or whatever um and and i think this this as assuming that we've we've we're solving the, the technical challenges which i think by and large um we've done a, a pretty good job of tons of work to be done there but but we're, 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 we're definitely uh, a good ways on the technology solution. Then the question is, how do you deliver all this wonderful stuff to consumers? Uh, you know, folks like your wife, my, my, my immediate family, et cetera. Um, and there we run into yet another, uh, you know, labyrinth of, of complexity uh, in healthcare. Um, and it, it goes to this, this issue of, of, fear, uncertainty, and doubt on, on the part of the consumer. Uh, do they trust themselves enough to shop? Mm -hmm. uh, do they feel that they have enough knowledge uh, to shop for healthcare compared with, you know, buying, uh, you know, something off of Amazon? Um, and I think that, that, you know, the, you know, as, as, as this, as the care requirement is more complex and more risky, there's less and less confidence on the part of the consumer to make a decision on their own. And in the last, uh, let's see, about a last year and a half, two years or so, I read a paper that uh, uh, dealt, with, dealt with this and made a pretty compelling proposition that in the majority of cases, these decisions are made not by the consumer, by, by the primary care physician. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a sort of no duh, uh, type of thing where you're going, gee, they, they actually had to write a study on this. But, <laughs> uh, you know, after after going through it, I came away uh, better educated, I think, on how to solve uh, this issue. And I think that that involving the primary care decision in whatever uh, technology solution that we're putting out there as, as an industry is, is probably an inevitable. Um, now, my son just recently graduated with his MD. Um, and we've, we've had a lot of fun times, um, you know, talking about the challenges of de delivering digital healthcare uh, to his patients. And, you, you know, uh, I think where we've netted out is that, you know, any solution for it to propagate at scale, I'm not talking about, you know, building a niche business, uh, you know, in, in, in delivering some type of digital uh, tools to the consumer. I'm talking about really a transformative uh, a game changer, if you will. For that to 
to happen. I think these these tools and technologies also have to think that that the primary agent of of, of, of patient steerage is the primary care physician. Um, so you can imagine going into a your your, your checkup uh, and having your doctor say, "Well, okay, so you're you're considering um, you know take your pick uh, uh, ACL surgery." Um, so let me just, you know, just as I'm writing out a, a prescription for whatever, uh, you know, some sort of pain medication for your knee pain, I'm going to just hit a button here and print out uh, the, the, the places where you're likely to get the best uh, uh, care, as well as the most affordable care. Looks like you're a healthy individual and you, you, you do fine in, in an ambulatory care setting saving you thousands of dollars. And oh, by the way, these folks have done hundreds of these and their outcomes are amongst the best. Um, equipping the, the, both the patient and the primary care physician with a solution that they, that they can both look at and, and come to agreement around where, where the best deal was available, um, I think is, is probably how how a solution gets implemented again at scale. Um, so uh, I, I don't think that there is a way to achieve scale excluding the primary care physician from the picture. Um, an attempt to do that assumes that you've got a highly sophisticated consumer on the other end. And sure, they exist, um, but that's, uh, probably a relatively small uh, market opportunity. That is such a good answer. And it's something that I think we've been discussing and dealing with on our end as we're looking at how do we help patients, right? And how, how do we achieve our goal? And I think you're absolutely right. To do that, you you have to include multiple stakeholders. And the way that, that we look at it or we're looking at it is, you know, the, the patient, the provider, and then I don't even like the term, but the payer, ultimately, I think the patient is the payer, but right. The, the entity that exists that, that will end up, you know, processing the claim and then paying the claim on, on, on the back end. So, yeah, I think, I think it's easy to sometimes forget about all of the stakeholders and end up focusing on one. So I, I love that answer. Um, and funny enough, it's actually one that came up in another podcast we had with Jan Oldenburg and she kind of said the same thing, right? The provider is key in this. So man, I, I love that. Um, you know, we have about 10 more questions we could go through, but we've also taken up a ton of your time. So I think we're going to gonna go ahead and, and wrap it up here and just, just again, say thank you. Um, I did want to ask you one last question, Shaquille. You know, where can our listeners connect with you online and, and find you to either learn more or get in, get in touch with you? Uh, so the best resource uh, is Empirica.com, our website. Um, you know, there you can get in touch with uh, any one of us on the executive team. I'm happy to engage on on any of these topics. We've you know devoted our careers to to this, and it's a for sure a marathon we're we're running. Um, and uh, would would love to engage uh, with your listeners uh, on the topic. Emperco.com um, uh, is where to find it all. Awesome. Well, we're, we support you as well, and we uh, I think we have common common goals here, and and, and you know. That's why we're doing this. And that's why we're all in this industry as well. So um, 
really appreciate you taking the time. Really appreciate the conversation. Congrats to your son, by the way, on, on his graduation. Excited to see how he and his uh, class of doctors address these same problems. So really appreciate your time. Thank you, Shaquille. Thank you very much, guys. I enjoyed the talk. That brings our episode to a close. Thanks to Shaquille for joining us and sharing his personal experiences with U.S. healthcare, his expertise on quality measurement, and his deep understanding of the entrenched incentives that prevent healthcare transformation. We hope you enjoyed our conversation and learned a thing or two from Shaquille. I certainly did. We're excited to share our next episode as we speak with Bonnie Clipper, Chief Medical Officer at Wambi and former VP of Innovation at the American Nurses Association. Bonnie shares the provider perspective and discusses how we can build technology to help patients better understand their care and improve their overall healthcare experience. It's going to be a good one, so be sure to subscribe now so you get a heads up when future episodes drop. Thanks for listening.